This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. OnlyFans bans pornography. Wu-Tang album resold by the government. And Selena publicity lawsuit. You're listening to The Biz Tape. Welcome to episode 48 of The Biz Tape, your all things music business and media podcast. I'm your host, Joe, with my co-host, Colin, and we're sitting here sweating yeah, up a storm. a little bit. <laughs> I mean, it was better than the previous laptop you said on the table that's fans that, going to like the moon based yeah, on the pressure it was pushing out of those I, fans. Uh, I just got a beefy laptop because uh, potentially I'm going to go on tour with some bands or whatever and... That thing is uh, beefy in all the wrong ways. Right, you're going like literally it's it's just pushing out air the entire time because it's like <laughs> in that gaming laptop space. So they're yeah. always just It has regulated. an RGB keyboard if you're interested Ooh, in that's that fun. sort of thing. You know, oh. we're we're turning into a gamers. Yeah, that's it. Gamers only. Uh, gamers only. You can find gaming content on Instagram, <laughs> Facebook, Twitter, TikTok at the biz tape and email the biz tape podcast at gmail.com. Not really, but you know. Isn't life just one big game all a year? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> life is an experience. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. That it's was just the, one giant That was the experience. worst Joey Wazaleski quote of all time. Life it is was just not one. that bad. Come on. I mean, like I said, you and the Hallmark Corporation just really love that quote. Hey, hey, it makes money. You know, I guess. And it's you, one big experience. Oh, my God. You know what makes money <laughs> and is one big experience? Um, a lawsuit? Now, that would be the weirdest way. It's like, I'm your lawyer. You know what makes money and is an experience? Suing someone. Anyway, <laughs> so Selena 
uh, which I'll get into there. Selena's producer allowed to move forward with suit against uh, Selena's family. So if you don't know who Selena is, she was one of the biggest breakout successes of Latin music in the 1990s. Mm-hmm. Uh, she still is, you know, in terms of sales, one of the biggest Latin artists of all time. But she sadly had her life cut short when she was shot in 1995 at 23 years old. And to this day, like I was saying, she's one of the biggest Latin female stars ever. And she was named the top selling Latin artist of the 1990s by Billboard uh, by, you know, and that's just such big numbers. And it's kind of funny when I talk to people and they don't know about her Mm -hmm. specifically because she's such a big deal. And one of the big deals about it, especially since she had her life cut so tragically, was that what are we doing with her publicity rights? When it comes to her story, what are we doing? How are we doing this? And so here's what happened. And this has caused a big lawsuit now. Um, Basically, Selena's producer of the movie Selena, I should say, the producer of the movie Selena, uh, who I'm just going to call Esperanza, which is his last name, because I do not want to try to say the first name, has established a beginning of being sued basically he's what's called a prima facie case which is basically like the court saying like you're cool to start suing this person we approve you're able to sue this person and who they're suing is selena's father and sister who basically are being accused of violating a contract by licensing the singer's life rights to netflix Mm. which if you've seen netflix has a new show about selena it's like a little mini series And now the original Selena movie, which occurred in 1997 and was released by Warner Brothers, uh, the the producer from that movie, Esperanza, is like, you were not allowed to do that. And his basis of this is saying that, which is insane to think about, a joint venture between Esperanza and Selena's father was established in 1995, Mm -hmm. literally the year she died. Uh, that would be assigned movie and television rights to Selena's story. So immediately from the get-go, they knew the value of this, and they went, we have to We do have this. to exploit it, basically. Right, right, exactly. It's like, this is a fleeting thing. You know, everybody has their moment, even in death, and especially since she died so tragically from being shot at such a young age in her career and was so big, they were like, we have to get this together. Yeah. Now... The problem is, is that Esperanza alleges that the joint venture was to hold on to the rights until the expiration of the copyright of the movie, which was in 1997. So they got a long time for that copyright, 120 years almost, in terms of copyrights for that film to run out. So they're mm-hmm. saying that he's oh, Esperanza is alleging that the joint venture should have ownership of that. Therefore, he should have control over selena's publicity rights when it comes to movies and television but selena's family insists that the contract amendment had rights reverting back to the family basically being like once we you know gave this rights to warner brother pictures for her movie it should come back to the family like we have the rights again yeah the joint venture her family and so this is what the whole lawsuit's about is him being like i basically deserve a cut because i'm in this joint venture so just to clarify, the family signed the papers to the be year in a joint the, venture. Yeah, the year of her death. The year of her death with the producer of the first Selena movie, Esperanza. And in that joint venture agreement, there wasn't an agreement of potentially returning. That's that's what I'm talking about here is that they're alleging that there's two different uh, things going on. Esperanza says that the joint venture in that agreement 
should still have rights to Selena's story mm. until the movie copyright ends for the 1997 film Selena. Yeah. And her family says, no, 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 you're getting this all wrong. We have the rights reverting back to us, her family. Mm-hmm. So that's the big point of contention here. And it gets weirder because Billboard found out that there appears to be a dispute over whether Warner Brothers had the consent to basically make the new show and interest or kind of approve the show is really what it was saying like, oh, we still have the Selena movie. So Netflix, if you want to make this, we need to talk. And there appears to be some court filings from Warner Brothers when they learned of the Netflix series saying that they tried to object, like object to it happening and that they basically achieved some sort of settlement that no one knows about. And this was a settlement with Netflix and Warner brothers. Gotcha. So, which is weird because Warner brothers is the distributor of the movie and Netflix obviously is making this new series, but it seems like completely like we didn't tell the parties about this that may actually own the rights. Obviously, we have some rights ownership because as Warner Brothers, we made the Selena movie. Mm-hmm. So we have probably some rights that they ha- signed over to us to make that movie. But it seems like they just were like, we don't have to tell you what we did with Netflix here in this case, which can get really seedy. And believe it or not, Netflix is actually co-defended in this lawsuit. Hmm. And it claims it has hardly a party to deal making in the 1990s, which I think is hilarious (laughs) and insists every right to make a quote, highly transformative biographical television series that involves a matter of public interest. Wow. What a lawyer statement that was (laughs) highly transformative. The one thing you need to go (laughs) different copyrights and trademarks is that you're taking this idea and transforming it into something completely new. Yeah. Therefore it's copyrightable or trademarkable. And then a public interest, like it's just a generic story. Like yeah. Selena. It's, so it, it's almost like it's, it belongs, the story belongs to the public. Yeah. Almost. It's like, you know, we don't have to pay anything about it. That's yeah. what I'm saying. It's such a lawyer story. And the judge, like I was saying, uh, has ruled that Esperanza can go through, but he's basically cut down a lot of his claims. So he nicks claims of what are called tourist interference and misappropriation of public rights. Long story short, it means that he can get less money for this. Gotcha. So like the judge was like, you can do this. I think you have enough to sue, but you're not going to go for the moon on this. Like I'm going to cut you down a few pegs. Yeah. Which is interesting because I wanted to talk about that in publicity rights. I mean, first off, imagine if you how weird that would be like if you were the family and immediately in 1995 your you know daughter or sibling had recently died mm-hmm. and immediately you're like we got to get this you know all of her assets together so fast you don't have no time to recover yeah because somebody else is going to go after it if you don't go after it you know yeah I mean? absolutely I, I think too a lot of the times artists um especially high profile artists will have teams devoted to how they're going to exploit their their works and their likeness after their death. And this is anything from, you know, like an indie artist to a superstar artist. Yeah, and it and kind so, of depends on the level of preparedness. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, you know, if you're a mega superstar like Prince or like David Bowie or something like <laughs> well, that. Well, not like Prince, but, you know, yeah, Prince yeah, didn't I guess. have that much when it True, came to that. But um, there is still some form, some level of preparedness that you have with an artist and yeah. an artist that's making a lot of money for you. Especially if you're older. Yeah, exactly. And so I don't think necessarily the the family uh, 
although they probably wanted to get the work out into, you know, showcase, um, uh, like her life, yeah, her and, life, you know, and what she aspired, what she to. achieved, and like yeah. how how purposeful her life has been in the music industry and just entertainment industry as a whole. Um, there's probably a team as well that was helping the family make these decisions. So that's where I believe that Esperanza comes in because he's the producer of the movie. So mm-hmm. I think he, based on this, is completely conjecture, but based on like how this is set up, it seems to me that he probably approached them. Yeah, knowing that like you produce movies so you can actually handle, you know, having a joint venture in this and being able to make a movie because you have the connections to make it and you have the ability to actually get this process started Mm -hmm. as opposed to just, you know, like her family owning the publicity rights and being like, well, that's what we own. We just have this, although I'm not, you know, a famous Hollywood star, so I can't really just make a movie out of nowhere. So I feel like that might've been part of their deal was it's like, Hey, look, you have to give me this asset, which is her rights to her life story, basically. Yeah. And I will help you make this movie, which is why he's fighting so hard for it because the rights for it are so lucrative as we see. I mean, we already had a giant movie in 1997 that had uh, JLo in the star role in 1997. Then we're having a reboot of it now with, uh, Oh, I forgot. It's the girl from Ned's declassified, believe it or not. The girl plays yeah. a, a Susie Crabgrass. Anyway. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, but like, that's kind of the point I'm trying to make here is that her life rights are so lucrative, even though she has passed away more than 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. because her, you know, she was such a staple in the Latin music scene and so huge. Like I was saying, she was one of the biggest Latin artists of that entire generation, if not the entirety of Latin music in the modern sense. So her rights have continued value. You know, if we think about it, kind of, if you go back into further time with older celebrities, I think it clicks more. Like think of a Marilyn Monroe. We still talk about Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. If there was a documentary, like, you know, if Apple TV was like, we made our own Marilyn Monroe documentary. Everyone would be like, yeah, of course people are interested in Marilyn Monroe. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So like, it's the same way with this is I think it's interesting to see these rights of celebrities feel like they go on forever in value. Yeah. When you feel like it would just wait. Even when like, they don't really have fast. it anymore. Right. And I think it's really interesting, like you're saying, Joe, the level of preparedness is sometimes just wildly different. Yeah. It is It is wildly different. A, a lot of it comes down to, you know, artist teams discussing it with their artists and whether the artists actually feel good enough to do something about it. You know, I feel like that might be a hard conversation for, you know, someone to be approached with is obviously your own mortality basically. But especially if, you know, you're younger, you might not feel like you have enough self worth to really be like, do I really have assets? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, especially since a lot of people don't think of songs and the rights that come with songs and then even your own, life story, I would even put that even lower in terms of people thinking of it has innate value. Yeah. So that would be really hard to come up to somebody and be like, Hey, just so you know, you're going to die. I don't know when, but we got to figure this out. Like you need to put, you know, who, who do you think this is like, you know, is it going to your family? Do you want to go to a charity? Do you want it to be, how is it going to be distributed? Who's going to be the executor of your estate? And I feel like that's a very difficult conversation to have, especially she died at 23 years old, like yeah. at the beginning of her career almost. Mm-hmm. So that was definitely not a thing in her mind. You know, Probably I, not. And I mean, things go so fast, especially when you're such a big megastar. Like 
And she at, died at in such a age. fast, tragic way. It yeah. wasn't like she had a terminal disease, mm-hmm. you know, or something. I will say, I think uh, artists nowadays are a bit more up to date with their, like what they would want their intellectual rights to be when they die. I definitely do feel like that's more of a, a thing now, just in the way of educating uh the youth has gone when it comes to their rights of Mm -hmm. what you actually have. Because I mean, we've seen it's like sour so many brands and so many, um, artists that have passed away. Like a lot of fans, they don't like some of the moves that labels would be making on an artist's behalf, you know? And so to avoid maybe something that you don't want to put out into the world because you're not finished with it, you would have a clause or some sort of, um, agreement in place with your record label, with your publishing company, with whatever, mm-hmm. to put into place boundaries of like what they can and cannot use. Right. The idea of a postmortem album mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And is... to be honest, like what's even more frustrating, as uh, like as a smaller artist, is you probably do not have the le- the leeway or leverage to get that kind of put in. Correct. Um, because a lot of the times, there are artists who have passed away and have become bigger than their entire career. Yeah. And it's interesting because it, sometimes it's just, you know, if you think about it, sometimes it's straightforward. It's like they were completing an album and then they sadly passed away. So obviously we have like this album and we're either going to like touch it up and then release it. But sometimes it's just little things that, you know, everything you do for like a label, for instance, I mean, their idea is that they're owning your intellectual property and you get a cut of that money because they facilitate, you know, how to make money on your intellectual property. Mm-hmm. So anything, you know, like if you recorded something in a studio session that was like an outtake and it was recorded and it's, you know, the label engineer had it and the label engineer turned it over to the label and go, here's your archive, put it in your archive thing. Guess what? If you're really valuable as an asset, as a person and you die suddenly, there's somebody who's going through all that stuff and looking just to yeah, be sure to see what's good and what's not right. Or, and like things that you might not think are, you never want anyone in the light of day to see. Yeah. I mean, we, did you see that? 60 minutes thing on uh, Prince's right his vault safe. yeah, his yeah vault. no one knew how to get in it for like a while it was very interesting in that and I don't that's the thing is like it's hard even when the family's involved it's hard to be like do they want would they have wanted this mm-hmm. but it's hard well, also you can't ask to them. cash in yeah right so it's it's extremely difficult because I mean anybody could have a change of heart over a decision right it's but, an educated guess at the end of the day. Yeah. But like even like an artist like Prince where he was making so much music and he was very, very picky on what he put out into the world, even though he had arguably some of his best records haven't even come out yet, according to a lot of people right. close to Prince. Um, it is it is a very, it's a moral gray area. I feel like. Right. Can you imagine, and then going back to this, can you imagine if an artist was involved in their own movie after their death somehow? Like, you know, like you're a ghost on the wall in some (laughs) hypothetical scenario. You know how different like an artist biopic would be after they died if like somehow the artist from the grave could like mess with what's going on there you could re- <laughs> are you talking about like prince is on on the set of right prince i'm talking docu- about yeah right. documentary like he's, and he's just moving lights he's a, he's a ghost <laughs> prince is a ghost he's like hi there you know and then like he comes up 
and he's he's like, I hate all of this. I hate the script. He We're rewriting the up. whole thing. Take this scene out. Do this. You know how different that would be? And so that's insane in this is like. Are you saying there are ghosts? There are music ghosts calling? Oh, 100%. <laughs> and so, you know, especially with Selena, because like I was saying, that movie was so big, especially like it kind of in a lot of ways sometimes goes over her legacy is that movie specifically from 1997. Yeah. And so. It, it's kind of a question to think about if maybe you're an artist or you're like managing a team. It's like if you had something so seminal that you're not even in control of, mm-hmm. at least, you know, it's like, oh, this was your magnum opus. You made that. But like if it's your movie and it's the way you're portrayed to the world, it would be so, it, it would be so heartbreaking if you were maybe like a family member to know it's like they wouldn't have liked this. They wouldn't have liked the way they were portrayed they wouldn't have liked who portrayed them all this kind of stuff but also that's how you get like the most sometimes accurate ones Mm -hmm. of people is that there's not that bias in there it's only from the outside perspective which is how everybody else sees them sees them yeah absolutely this is it your moment this is your time to make your comeback with purdue global when you come back with a purdue global degree you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Well, moving on, Wu-Tang Clan album 
once owned by Martin Scarelli, has been resold. So, Colin, I don't know if you remember the oh, I remember nightmare <laughs> the music industry had when Martin Scarelli owned this legendary Wu Tang Clan album, which is funny because it was as we're probably going to talk about right way before NFTs had really become an idea. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I'll actually get into that. So the United States government has sold the only copy of the most valuable piece of physical music in existence, which is the Wu-Tang's album Once Upon a Time in Shaolin. I think you should read that sentence again. The United States government (laughs) Government has sold the the only only copy of the most valued piece of physical music in existence. Can you imagine going up to like... (laughs) Any of the members of Wu Tang Clan, like old Dirty Bastard, and you're like, hey, so the United States government will eventually Sold your sell album. your album. <laughs> I mean, they knew it was going to be weird when they made it. But once owned by Pharma Bro and general douchebag Martin Scarelli, who was forced to forfeit the asset as part of a $7.4 million forfeiture judgment that, you know, he got caught basically manipulating stock and like backside trading. Oh, okay. And so they're going for assets from him. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So the album has been sold to an anonymous buyer for an undisclosed undisclosed amount of money. Smart. And just some backstory on the album, because it is still kind of shrouded in mystery, and a lot of people don't really know how the album came into existence. So the record is the seventh studio album from Wu-Tang that was recorded over a span of six years, and the album was pressed into a single two-CD copy and immediately stored in a secured vault at the Royal Mansour Hotel in Morocco. And it's up to James Bond to steal <laughs> yeah, it. To like- steal it, yeah. <laughs> then auctioned through an online auction house called Paddle 8, which has since filed for bankruptcy after a nonprofit called New America Cinema Group filed a lawsuit against them for misappropriating funds from a charity auction. So kind of the kind of a weird uh, I this guess is literally the next Daniel Craig James Bond movie. Yeah, exactly. It's it's kind of the whole thing is a little sketchy, to yeah. be honest with you. Now, you might be wondering why this is such a big deal, and can't the album just be released by whoever owns the physical record? Well, a legal agreement with the buyer stipulates that it cannot be released and distributed commercially until twenty or two thousand one hundred and three. I was like, I ain't twenty. Yeah, not not in the twenties. <laughs> but it can be played during listening parties, which I don't know if you remember, but oh, Martin, cool. So like Martin Kanye Scarelli did like a live stream, I think, playing yeah. some of the tracks and basically just like flexing. He had it, and I think like. It was like a month later he got arrested and thrown into prison. Yeah, for some really shady stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's it's kind of it's kind of strange like how much this this value is in this physical piece of music, right? Yeah. So this brings up a lot of questions about the value of records as well as the value of physical records. But Colin, I want to know isn't this the sort of thing that's very similar to how bloated NFTs have become? And do you think a piece of music could potentially be valued higher in this setting? So physical, be so valued higher I guess not, than I guess not maybe? physical, like digital versus physical. So like if, do you think an NFT album that's just an album NFT style would be valued higher than a physical copy of this right if i somehow album. could take the wu-tang model here same album same everything and just make it only digital exactly and yeah i think to be honest the answer to this question is time mm-hmm. i don't think that the general public understands nfts as much again nft deep dive on our thing no shout outs anyway <laughs> uh yeah but we did a deep dive on it and it's very complex and 
a lot of people, it's just, it's very hard to read about. And it's above like the general, you know, lexicon of people who are talking about NFTs now. It's just so hard to understand, but it's way easier and more straightforward to be like, this thing in my hands is the only thing in existence. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I feel like now, yeah, like it would make sense for people to be like, oh, okay. He only has that physical record. And again, value is based on demand and also how much people really believe it's worth. So if it's easier to understand its value, then it's going to be innately more valuable. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that's kind of my logic with it is that for now, I feel like the physical domain of these value assets um, is going to stay that way in terms of like the general public. Now, as time goes on and maybe we understand more and it becomes like generally in the lexicon of how people talk about like understanding how encrypted some of these NFTs are and how they're so innately digital and how they're locked in that domain. And, you know, it take hundreds of hours of, in, you know, trying to take all these numbers and arrange them and then you have to get them. It's so hard to get it is what I'm trying to say in a digital domain, like to steal it or to get another copy if the NFT is done right. Mm -hmm. So I feel like in the future, if more people understood that, then yeah, maybe we, we, because innately in a digital domain, if it's done to the like level of security that digital can provide versus physical, it will innately be more secure. Yeah. In that way. I've in my in my mind, again, I'm sure some cyber security expert is probably yelling at me right now. But <laughs> th- that's what I'm saying is like if people understand that, oh, there's no way in hell you're gonna get this digitally, I could steal it physically, it'd be really hard because again, we have to break into the Royal Mansour Hotel in Monaco, and then Daniel Craig has to break in with his <laughs> army of uh British SO <laughs> officers and steal it. But like what I'm saying is is that I just at the end of the day feel like for now, physical is way easier to understand. So people are going to be like, that's more valuable. Yeah. So who know who knows about that? And then the thing with NFTs, that's why I think it's interesting because it's kind of now that we think about it, it's like one of the last things that I can remember of like physical copies of music being crazy amounts of money mm-hmm. before NFTs. It's like one of the last big ones that yeah. I can remember. I almost feel like this is also a discussion on like the value of high art and like what is high art too? Uh, because That's like so yeah, they right. specifically made and branded like Wu Tang specifically sold this as a way of making right a this sale is, in high art. It wasn't very supposed to be like from like you have the first pressing of like a Beatles album from the sixties. Yeah, there's other. This is was made and intentionally put together to be. This is the only copy mm-hmm. that exists, as and the only to, copy that you can listen to. Right, as opposed to being like destroyed from like, you know, years and years of albums being destroyed or something. Can you imagine when we're like a hundred and we can finally listen to <laughs> the Wu Tang? Oh, album? we're dead at that point. There's no way. <laughs> I have, mean, come on, we can hold. I out. would be. We have to hold out for the Wu Tang album when this album when I could legally listen to this out. Listen, it, guys, no, here's guys, guys, thing. we it have could, to solve global warming no, so that we can all I, I listen think we're to missing the this too. It, it's not that it's like, Oh, it's a time lock and that's released the ability for it to be released. Yeah. <laughs> so like, that's the thing with this too is, is whoever owns it and 
again, also I want to highlight whoever anonymously bought this for an undisclosed amount of money. That was the move right there. Yeah. Because you do not want people to know you have this. Yeah. Cause it's, it's almost like you got the, uh, I don't know. What's the like thing a Mona Indiana Lisa? Jones <laughs> tries to find? Oh, the, it's like, like the chest. monkey or something? Oh, the Ark of the Covenant? Yeah. It's yeah. like the Ark of the Covenant, but for music. Right. <laughs> like, so it's like, you don't want people you to You open that. it up and there's like literally just like the ashes of old. Again, like I'm saying, this is like some up. James Bond level shit. Instead of like being like, we are capturing the jade monkey. It's like, we are getting the once upon a time in Shaolin one only pressing of Wu-Tang. Yeah. It's just, it's a crazy cause you're right. It's totally high art at this point. I definitely think one, this was the move for Wu-Tang. Cause I mean, again, this was well, sold for they, millions of dollars. Yeah. They, but they're not even making as much as the people who are reselling it. it seems See, like See, that's the other thing we didn't talk about with it. But we've talked about with NFTs is the, the ability for NFTs to have an architecture but I, if to go listen, to, yeah, go listen to the deep dive. If you want to learn more about this, but there's a thing with NFTs where now you're getting to the point where you can sell NFTs and then there's a kickback to the original person saying mm. like, Oh, if you're trading this so much, so you get a royalty almost. Right. So that's what a lot of artists are very excited about is that it's kind of like the return of how, you know, if, you were in the 1600s, 1700s and you had your printing press and you were like, Oh, I can sell my prints like visit, you know, and do that and get a return. Cause they have to buy from me directly and stuff like that. It's the same way, but now digital. Mm. So with this case, it shows that how Wu Tang doesn't have that. Wow. Like they do not have that ability to be like, well, it seems like uh, the U.S. government seized this part of a $7.4 million forfeiture judgment, which means that it's either $7.4 million or less. But like, it's not like when the U.S. government sold it, they were like, okay, Wu-Tang, well, the, here's your 10%. The value of the Wu-Tang record is $2 million. Okay, $2 million. So let's yeah. say if it's like $2 million, it's not like the U.S. government was like, here's your kickback. You, you are owed 15% because you were nice guys and we're going to give you 15%. They were like, no, we're trying to get this money off of this man. Yeah. I have a feeling taxes. <laughs> I have a feeling they sold it for like $4 million. Like did I think, ever, I think it's gotten even did crazier. Did they ever price. say like what? No, it's it's totally oh, undisclosed to the new buyer, but the mm-hmm. original buyer, the guy who the Martin Scarelli bought it for two million. Yeah. Okay. So that's the other thing we could speculate if it's gone up or down or what. I feel like maybe I could see both. I could see both arguments of it being more valuable and less valuable. I don't know. I think it's. I think it has so much hype behind it. Like Wu Tang fans are just ravenous. Like on every level, and but you're so, not. I, I feel like at that level, it's this is more about prestige. Oh, absolutely. Than anything, absolutely. So but, I feel, but like, I think that it still has its its innate value, and I feel like it has more value because of the story behind it. Like this is such a unique story to any piece of music that's been sold. You know. Yeah, I mean, definitely as the story continues on and maybe if it's like bought and sold, like it's like kind of like one of those things where you see and it'll be like a rich couple in a movie and they'll like look at like some chair and they'll be like, this was owned by George Washington and then sold to Henry (laughs) Adams and then sold, you know, to my grandfather. And that's like makes it more valuable. It's like the story of it being sold. Yeah. Which is also more towards physical because I feel like that's more towards physical media is like the story with it as opposed to NFTs where it's like, I would just like this, please Mm -hmm. give it to me. Like obviously this production house or whoever, this high art person that owns this really valuable NFT, I could be like, I did buy it from this guy who's really reputable, but I feel like it's more of a, 
for lack of a better term, old world thing to be like, this is the chain of command of this Wu-Tang album. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I'm wondering too, like, because NFTs innately have kind of the same high value, potentially have the same high value. Um, if like governments could actually seize those and then resell them the as NFTs? well. And then it would be hilarious to see them sell it on their shitty website that I caught <laughs> some of this information. I definitely feel like because yeah. it is HTML. Yeah. It is literally like right in the center of the frame on your monitor. And it would be hilarious to me to see a, uh, what is it? Hatsumi Miku oh, uh, yeah. NFT or something just like right on the Right, exactly. Website. Like really bad. Like it's like high technology, but in a very low technology format. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I could definitely see that. That would be interesting for Civil Fortune for sure as well because it is an asset now and they do, they will take cryptocurrency from people. You yeah. know what I mean? It's the same thing. It's based on the same technology. You could st- take that from someone. Wow. You know. All right, Colin. Well, up next, our favorite thing. I guess. Okay, so first <laughs> off, I want to preface this story because this is like one of my favorite, you know, things to do is my theory crafting about stuff. So we have OnlyFans to ban pornographic videos completely. Damn. Which They're pulling it's a been Tumblr. Making big news, but I want to talk about it from the perspective of why I think they're doing this and also what maybe we could see in the future and maybe Maybe we'll be on OnlyFans now because I feel like that's what they're trying to do. So OnlyFans <laughs> will begin banning users from posting content containing sexually explicit conduct. This October, due to requests from banking partners and payment providers, the company said on Thursday, which I'm like, cool, sure, the banking partners said that and the payment providers said that, which I'll get into my theory of why it's not that. Nude photos and videos will still be allowed on the platform, provided they follow OnlyFans rules. But this is my favorite. It's not immediately clear how the company will determine what kind of sexually explicit content will fall under the ban. Mm. All right. Just, (laughs) and I know it's going to be bots and they're not going to be good. Oh, no. (laughs) So that's, that's another thing. So it's not going to be a really fair ban hammer in order to ensure the long-term, uh, sustainability of our platform and to continue to host an inclusive community of creators and fans. We must evolve our content guidelines. Only fans said in a statement, which I'm sure that's really inclusive for you to ban a bunch of the content off, but whatever. Yeah. And then the changes come as billboard points out as only fans, which has 2 million creators and more than 130 million users has been seeking funding from outside investors of a one point of a $1 billion valuation. So here's why I think they're doing this. I think I I, I will say the banking partners and payment providers is kind of true, but I think it's a half truth. Yeah. Let's talk about OnlyFans as a technology company. Mm -hmm. Their technology they provide is like a Patreon Twitter esque thing. And they put a lot of money in developing the way that works and the payment system that works. And at the end of the day, that's what that company provides. And then people put their own services on that platform. I think OnlyFans is doing this because they believe in the actual technology they've created and expanding it to a bigger platform of users. Mm-hmm. And part of the thing that's going to stop them from doing that is sadly this sexually explicit conduct. And Reason why is that one, if you don't know this, the only fans you can't even get on the app store because it it's banned from the Apple and Google play store because it's sexual content. 
Uh, you're again dissuading people from wanting to invest in your business because they're afraid of either the moral implications of investing in a business that's considered to be sexually explicit or you're worried about the problems that come with sexually explicit content. What do I mean by that? That doesn't mean like, oh, we got to like come down on all these people who have weird fetishes. It means like we have to police this really heavily. You know what I mean? We, we're talking about potentials for uh, not to get too terrible, but like child pornography and people having their pornography on there. That's, you know, not supposed to be there and wasn't condoned by that person. Yeah. There's a whole new set of problems with it. And I'm sure you can probably understand is that let's say if one of our podcasts was on a place, it shouldn't be, we're going to try our hardest to get it off and everything. But if it was a, you know, a naked photo of yourself, you're going to probably try seven times harder to get that off. Yeah. And to, and also you're probably going to want to sue for big money because that's a big personal thing of your life and everything. And also it could have ramifications in your life. You could Mm -hmm. lose your job sadly in this world from that. You could lose friends from that. You could have a bunch of things happen to you because people are so against, you know, sexual stuff. If you're losing your friends, though, I just want to preface, if you're losing your friends, they're, over shitty, a week friends. You, they're shitty friends, right. get new friends. So, <laughs> but, but that's what I'm saying. And so like, that's the problems that come with sexual content like this for them. So what they're trying to do is they think, well, we got a platform. I think it can go toe to toe with like a Patreon because that's basically what it is, is the, is the format of it is how kind of Patreon works. Yeah. So I feel like what they're saying is they're investing, they're trying to be like, we want to eliminate all these problems we have with sexual conduct conduct, and like, you know, not having to deal with that, have more people be willing to come on board with us because they feel like they're not associated with that content. And then also we can finally get our stuff on the app store and try to go toe to toe with like a Patreon, for example, and have a more inclusive market. It's kind of like what I talked about before on the show specifically with genre, but also we can go to technology here. They want to expand, you know, their business to try to be the top dog of whatever that is. They don't want to be just the king of the castle of sexually explicit content. They're Mm -hmm. like, we're looking bigger than that. And that's a a hard choice to make. I think they're doing it in a shitty way though. I just want to say that straight up. Yeah. Um, because they they have not been very transparent with their creators. They haven't. They've definitely not like obviously when they were announcing it, it's gonna be contentious. People are gonna be very upset. Understandable. Well, it seemed like but they, the thing with the rules is really over yeah. the line. Well, I think too. Like it seemed like they pulled like a full one eighty because they they said that there was gonna be some changes. But don't worry, you can still get your porn here, basically. Right. And then like the later in that the same week, they were like, oh, never mind, we're taking it all. So away. that's why I want to kind of go into also is. Would you adopt an OnlyFans because it does have brand recognition because people know what OnlyFans is, mm-hmm. but maybe be an earlier, is it worth it? Maybe if you were like an artist to actually be like, okay, I'm going to put my content on OnlyFans. Like we have a new song every week and one of those songs is only going to be on OnlyFans. Or if you're a podcast like us, it's like one of these podcasts is only going to be on OnlyFans because everybody knows what OnlyFans is. There's a lot of press for it. Yeah. So you might have more people being like, I want to click well, on it. And it's, it's the an joke OnlyFans. too, right? It's the joke of it to a certain extent. Right. You could play that really well as being like, we have an OnlyFans, huh? Uh-huh. Like I talked about, uh, I think on the podcast. Who knows like, we might do that. <laughs> ten, maybe. But I talked about on the podcast a while ago, uh, Linus Sebastian of Linus Media Group has an OnlyFans mm-hmm. and it's not sexual. And it was before all of this happened and yeah. it was supposed to be like, you know, jokey. It, it's kind of sexual, but it's like more of like 
jokey sexual. It's like him naked and with a pillow in front of him. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, like just being a geeb. Basically, yeah. <laughs> it's not like to, for like the sex appeal. I mean, if that's what you get and that gets you, hey, you go ahead. But like, <laughs> it's just more of like you can tell it's more for the joke. And so that's what I'm saying with your theory is that works very well. It's like people can lean into that with the jokey part of this. Yeah. No, I don't think everybody can. Like if you're like, obviously if you're more content creator focused like us or a band or something like that, that's fine. But it'd be hard if you were like a news organization, <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? CNN, <laughs> only fans, Anderson Cooper, right? Ab spread. <laughs> that would be harder. That would if sell really I hate quick. to say it, but I, it'd, like, be, honestly. it'd be harder if you were in a more, I guess, quote unquote, serious business. Yeah. Like something like that. I guess so. I do think that it is, like you said before, it is very shitty kind of how the company has basically turned their back on what made them so popular, and I which was sex work. Sex work is what made that site popular. Yeah, and we and, can't uh, do that, man. I also feel like it limits their um, brand a lot, personally, because there's already a Patreon. Mm-hmm. There's already a GoFundMe. It's like you're there's going already all this space. stuff. Yeah, why why do you need to be in that space when you, when you have something completely unique that everybody else is afraid right. to tackle? And, you know, they claim that it's because they're not getting any investors. But they're racking in. They're like a billion, I think they're valued at like a, $1 billion, $2 billion last year. It had a $1 billion investment, yeah. evaluation. Which is crazy. And it's seeking funding from it. You don't, and they need, claim you don't that, need the funding, though. You don't need investors at that point to a certain extent. I mean, you could. You could become a pub- publicly traded platform, but it it really doesn't make any sense to me why why you would limit yourself. This is what I'm saying. It's like you could be the king of the castle, this hill, which is smaller, mm-hmm. or you can take a risk and try to hike up the big hill and hope that you get all the way up there. Well, personally, I, I don't think the it's going to be... I think... I think it's going to end up a lot like Tumblr. I think they're going to lose a lot. I was going to mention that. I'm really glad you mentioned that because Tumblr had kind of the same thing, which was that it event, obviously like OnlyFans, it did not start off as this is the sexual content platform, but because of the tools that were on it, it was just leaned more towards pornography. And so Tumblr was able to, you know, really become a big thing of that. Then Verizon bought it and was like, kind of what OnlyFans is thought is, well, we don't want to deal with the problems of that and we want to see if we can expand the technology that Tumblr has into being more worldwide and have more viewership and everything and not be as hard to get people to come on. Mm-hmm. And they failed. They, that they, Tumblr they bailed, tanked. <laughs> yeah, Tumblr tanked so hard because they you know, pissed off the consumers that were already using it and then there was no incentive to go to it because Tumblr's model was old in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't like an attractive new thing. Oh, you maybe you should spend less time on Twitter. You can come over to Tumblr. Nobody was like that. No one. Yeah. So they it, didn't have any other kind of media that people wanted to come see. I think the only way this would work is uh, for OnlyFans is that if they had some adoption from creators who are like willing to be like, I want to come on the platform. I really want to come on the platform and have some hype on it. Well, I do think they're going to get celebrity endorsements and I, I almost, but here's the question. Are they going to pay for it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They're absolutely going to be paying for a Kardashian to get on there or something, you know, like it's, that's just kind of the game we're in now because all of these social platforms and even music streaming sites have now realized the value of, of 
having something exclusive. And OnlyFans has something very exclusive, but it's almost turning its back on that exclusivity, which I think is going to undervalue it. And I, I almost feel like it's going to lose its $1 billion evaluation next year if it, yeah, if it I, doesn't, it's, if it's they don't come back on it. But we could be wrong. There's a lot of things that could have happened. It's the pinnacle of happen. risk. Yeah. And so, I mean, if they, like I said, this is a belief for them to be like this. Our technology is greater than this. Yeah. And I well, said, that's a lot to put down on that. And if you're a creator listening and you're, you know, you're wondering, should I get an OnlyFans? I mean, you, you do you. Um, but also you should take this as a lesson of any platform. It is so smart and so valuable to diversify yourself. Yeah as a content creator, as an artist, as a creator of anything, uh, then to single one space, one sector. I completely agree. And you've seen that you've seen the artists, especially that are very good at social media because they treat every social media as its own product. It's not just a funnel. Yeah. Like it has that purpose, but it's not the only purpose of it. And we've seen artists do that to an extreme level and creators do that. And so, yeah, like Joe saying, you don't want to be completely dependent on one company. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the sucky part about this in the end, the whole end of this is that sex workers specifically have such a hard time on the internet and OnlyFans seem to be a good place for them to have some security. And now that's being taken away and it's going to be interesting. Who's going to fill the vacuum? Yeah. Cause there's going to be a lot of sex workers that are like, we need a place well, I'm, kind of I'm wondering if om, if almost they're they're, they're going to move over to Patreon or still use OnlyFans, but use a secondary file delivery service. And here's the thing: I wish the rules would tell me if that was illegal against the rules. Yeah, you know what I mean. Is it illegal to put a link there instead of the porno like the pornography? I don't know. They yeah, haven't. We don't know rules. yet. And, and I get why they did it because they were like, this is going to take a long time to hammer down and any rules we have, will have a bunch <laughs> of scrutiny. Yeah. But it seems like they're going to be very fast on the push out when it does. Oh happen. yeah. I so. don't know, man. It's, it's definitely rough. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue global. When you come back with a Purdue global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Yo, what have you been listening to? I have been listening to a lot of stuff. I've been listening to uh, a artist by the name of Dora Jar. Uh, her album Digital Meadow, love it so much. Uh, I've also been listening to Muna, as well as Curtis Waters. Like he, he's forever my cue, honestly. Since I heard um, uh, Stunton, to be honest with you, uh, still love that Isaiah Rashad record. Um, and yeah, I mean, just a bunch of stuff. Oh, and shout out uh, my friend Ty's band Boy Howdy on their new uh, single, Over My Head, which is, uh, if you're into pop punk and also, um, like, uh, what it, what it, what it, what is the, the new genre calling where it's, it's pop, but it's like country, hundred gex. No, no. Oh, hyper pop. Hyper pop. Yeah. It's like hyper pop and pop punk combined, which I think it's, it's kind of interesting. Very yeah. interesting sound. Yeah. That's a, that's been a real flavor lately. So that's yeah. a good place to be in, in terms of genres right now. T- true. What uh, about you, Colin? I was okay. You'll laugh at this. I was on the Jack Antonoff train for a minute. I have <laughs> that, a thing with Joe. I never thought I in a million years you'd Joe. say that. <laughs> okay, I have a thing with Joe where I talk about Jack Antonoff and I go, I feel like he's such a cool dude. Listen to him on Mike Probiglia's Working It Out podcast. Like him. Like his. You know, Bleachers has a couple good songs, but I just really struggle with music that he produces. You and, and I, I, it seems like a lot of the music industry. Yeah, there's right a now. lot of people that are like giving him a lot of shit lately, and I just try to be like a devil's advocate. So I was like, I need to listen to more of that stuff. Like, obviously I've listened to Taylor Swift stuff, but I was like, let's listen to more things. So the two albums I listened to were solar power by Lord. Mm -hmm. And then I listened to, uh, Claro's new album, which I have to remember the name of right now is sling. So radically different. I've heard the Claro's album is awesome. Oh, it's a good. And it kind of proves how much of a force, like at the end of the day, you are producing someone. Mm-hmm. Someone is the key word in that. So like you can do whatever you want. You can do tweak. You can suggest it. But at the end of the day, you fundamentally cannot change the person you are producing. Yeah. So, or at least that's your goal, right? right. You are, you were trying to enhance as opposed to change. Mm-hmm. And so with that, the Claro album sling is really good. I really like it. It's got like a very vintage vibe. It actually kind of reminds me of like post pet sounds beach boys a little bit, which is really strange to say, Yeah, but it has that kind of vibe. Uh, Amoeba is probably the biggest song in there. And there's a reason it's just very catchy, very good. And has a lot of interesting, interesting like indie rock instrumentation and a lot of vocal layers compared to a lot of Claro stuff before. So I really like it. 
Uh, I think it's really good. And I was pleasantly surprised. But then the other one is Solar Power by Lord, which I was the opposite about. I was <laughs> you had a lot of Lord. First fans. off, it was I, I wasn't a fan of melodrama, which he also produced back in the day. I've been a Lord pure heroin person. I saw Lord which, in 2014. That's with interesting. You say that because melodrama, uh, a lot of people say, is her best record. It's very divisive. I've, mm-hmm. from what I've seen. So I was like, okay, I like Lord, you know, most, uh, a lot of the time, but it's been a long time. So I was listening to it. It's so funny. I've literally listened to it. Solar power is okay. The main song you probably heard on TikTok a lot, but the first song I really like, and it's called the path. And I was like, why do I like this? And I was like trying to figure it out. So I went on the Wikipedia page and you know why I like it. It's the one song that Jack Antonoff doesn't write with her. Oh man. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, that's just, I, I, there's something about it and I don't know what it is, but it's weird on the other album. He writes a lot of the songs with, uh, Claro. So it's not like a rule for me that if like he writes it, but I was like, this is very strange to point out. So that's kind of been my thing. And then I listened to another record that I'm not going to name, but I, uh, went completely the opposite direction. was listening to Travis Tritt for no reason today. <laughs> <laughs> I got my rice wow. cooking in the microwave DMC eight on the podcast for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of The Biz Tape. You can find us on our socials at The Biz Tape everywhere or email us, thebiztapepodcast at gmail.com. We're really interested in what you guys have to say, and thank you so much for supporting us. Uh, And, you know, potentially some cool announcements on the way. So, yeah, thanks again. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.